secret art of business? The creative side of our brain and the business side of our brain may seem like two separate entities, but they are actually interconnected and complementary. The creative side of our brain can bring fresh and innovative ideas to the table, while the business side of our brain can turn these ideas into practical and profitable solutions. By tapping into both the creative and business side of our brains, we can find a balance between risk-taking and practicality, leading to more success and fulfillment in both our personal and professional lives. I'm Katherine Lane Klein, entrepreneur and creative person, and in this podcast, we will hear success stories from people that are doing exactly that, and hopefully giving you ideas of how you can too. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Secret Art of Business, and today I have Neil Bell with me, and Neil is the owner of White Rock Media. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Katherine. I would like to start by talking about White Rock Media because you have had it for 24 plus years, which is crazy. That's like a whole lifetime. Um, let's talk about how did it start? And well, you know what? Let's talk about what it is that you do, and then we'll talk about how it started. Yeah, I manage media placements for advertisers. So I, I create plans and I, and I negotiate rates and I draft and implement schedules on behalf of my clients who tend to be local market advertisers here in central Ohio. Over the years, I've, I've done multi-market advertising work you know, for companies who operate in multiple media markets. I've done regional stuff. I've done national stuff. Um, at the end of the day, the math is very similar. It just depends on uh, how big uh, you're defining the geographic scope of things. Um, I started the business... Uh, in 1999, it was a time when lots of different marketing services were kind of being unbundled from full-service advertising agencies. Uh, I realized the sort of economic uh, value of media management services, and I felt like there was a lot of, especially local market advertisers who were being underserved in terms of there were a lot of computers and information tools coming becoming available that could really help uh, local market advertisers make more informed media buying decisions to, you know, so that for every dollar they spent in advertising, they reached more people who looked more like their ideal customer. And um, so I kind of took a, 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 an approach that was not dissimilar from like um, financial advisors. You know, for every for every financial advisor, you know, their clients have different risk tolerances, different appetites for risk, different way that they're defining success, and that they would configure investment opportunities to sort of match that. Uh, I, I had a similar, I was able to, my, my clients were similarly diverse in their viewpoints about how, how they define success and um, I had some clients who were willing to kind of bet on new programs and 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 uh, and and trust that I could help them uh, find value by buying early into things like American Idol and and programs <laughs> that kind of took off like a rocket. But we we get in at low rates. Um, other people were more risk averse. They're like, you know what, the news is on every night. Uh, news is consumed kind of habitually. Let's let's look at that programming as a real consistent right. uh, kind of deliverer of audience. So um, uh, there were lots of different variations for how to 
uh, find an edge in the game of planning and buying media. And then over the years, I've, I've also distinguished what we do uh, on the back end in terms of accounting and reporting. Um, we kind of specialize in what's called co-op advertising, where third parties help subsidize the, the, the cost of advertising for, oh, for cool. the client. So like things like automotive, a lot of car manufacturers will subsidize their dealer network to advertise. Um, same in television. Uh, local TV stations will place a lot of cable and radio advertising to promote tune-in to programming, um, and the producers of those programs will help. And so with all of that, there's an extra accounting burden to show proof of performance and um, and that things were, were bought uh, in line with whatever rules the co-op partner has. Uh, so, you know, I didn't want to be a CPA. I, I have a degree in accounting and I knew I didn't want to I do it. I to bring that up. <laughs> but I ended up getting involved in very detail-oriented uh, number crunching, uh, both in terms of audience analysis and in terms of uh, sort of an accounting reporting function. Yeah, I was going to bring it up. It's kind of like this little superpower that you have that isn't necessarily front and center and that you do know numbers as well. Um, so you can really have your clients in that regard to just say, you know, and here's where you're going to get the best return for your dollar. Yeah, I, I feel like uh, a fair chunk of my career, I have um, gone against my natural instincts in terms of, you know, <laughs> I, as, a, as a kid, I could not sit still. And I, I did lots of uh, musical theater and choir and stuff. And um and I, I ended up, you know, when, when you get a, 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 a wife and kids and you have bills to pay, it's like I, I adjusted my, uh, my behavior to sort of match the needs of the moment. But as I've gotten older and, and uh, more of uh, my obligation to my family has, has kind of been taken care of, I'm, I'm, I find that I'm reverting more back to my go with the flow improv self um and i'm enjoying that now you you use a great word which was improv and i do think that owning a business is a lot of that <laughs> because you're Very constantly so. being thrown the yes ands all the time when it comes to uh trying to troubleshoot your business so um you we're pretty much on a, on a course for doing what you're doing now, but what, you know, bundling all that up, what made you decide to start a business where you could kind of get into this everyday improv of running a company? Um, I had always had it in the back of my head that I wanted to be my own boss. Um, that like, that was definitely on my mind, um, I saw my father work for United Personal Service for 22 years, and oh, wow. kind of uh, as that as that company matured and became more sophisticated, and and began, uh, you know, and his leadership was was you know everybody had MBAs. Uh, my dad, who was uh, a high school graduate, he did four years in the in the Marine Corps. And that kind of regimentation that he got out of the military really played well to UPS's early culture. Um, 
he, the, the, the organization kind of became more sophisticated and they didn't, they didn't see fit to bring him along, uh, mm-hmm. after, after a couple of decades. And, and so, you know, I, I think I'm of a generation who began to see that the sort of social contract between companies and employees, like, wasn't what it used to be. And um, so it, you know, I remember when I did start White Rock, my dad felt like that was kind of a risky thing. Yeah. And, um, and I, and I felt kind of the opposite, like, the risky thing is to trust that some large entity with leader with executive suite that's constantly changing is going to always view me as as equally valuable from you know year to year so it it was uh so it was kind of just kind of baked into me from the mm-hmm. beginning it was also um the advertising agencies that I worked for were not super large. And so it wasn't hard to kind of impute the economics, like how much I was contributing to the bottom line single-handedly. And I was like, huh, that's, that's seems like a a good business. And you sort of couple that with um, the fact that other people were, were doing it, you know, they were opening media only boutiques and, um, and it all kind of conspired, you know, I was just young and dumb and feisty enough to, <laughs> to think I could do it myself. And it really, um, from a lifestyle perspective, uh, was well-timed. We had our first child in, in 2000. So I had, you know, I wasn't quite as busy when I first started. And so I was able to kind of, um, co-parent, uh, with my wife who is an attorney. So, I, um, I had, I had exclusive responsibility for our son. I believe it was two days a week. Um, he stayed with my parents two days a week and then Lori was home on Fridays. Oh, that's a pretty good system. Yeah. It, it allowed for both of us to kind of stay engaged professionally, uh, but be highly engaged as parents. And, yeah, um, and I think sometimes that just the timing works right for that. It's like, you know what, this just feels right. And sometimes, sometimes all the ducks get in a line and it, it just really works out. Um, my, my story is a little bit similar in that started a business. And then I want to say like three years into it, I, we had a daughter and it, when you can make your own hours, it works out pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that's, that is definitely one thing that has always been true is that um, every waking moment, has to be deployed to its highest and best use. And sometimes that's getting your kid off the bus. And sometimes it's, uh, you know, auditing a billing package at 11 at night. Uh, So it's just like, as long as things get, as long as you hit deadlines, like it doesn't matter whether it happened at 8 PM or 8 AM. And um, and I think that that kind of fluidity has only gotten stronger over the last two decades. Yes, I think more people started realizing that that made the most sense. And you give your best when you're in it 100% versus thinking about, you know, I got to get home or I got to, you know, I have, I got a kid waiting for me at school to pick, be picked up. I mean, it's like, no, it is all set. And I know maybe I have to put in a 10 or 12 hour day, you know, a couple days a week, but it's worth it in the long run. 
um, because Very the results so. aren't going to be the same anyway. Very much so. Yes. <laughs> Period. And I think hmm. this was not, a, a, not enough uh, for you to do because you were also the founder and owner of Mammal's Kitchen. Um, tell us mm-hmm. a little bit about how that all started. There, you know, the internet has changed a ton about um, how we consume media and how we buy advertising. Um, mm-hmm. In addition to that, uh, I spent a good decade, I would say from 2004 to 2014, I really aggressively was trying to grow White Rock. And, um, and, and I did so with reasonable success, but I would describe that decade as two steps forward, two steps back. Like it wasn't really, I tried to turn it into a scalable business, but I came to realize that it was never going to be a lumber mill. It was, it was at best going to be a custom carpentry shop. Every client's needs were unique. So the systems and processes that you put in place for that client were kind of unique to that client. It wasn't kind of universally uh, applicable. And so you ended up just, you know, and that's great. It's just, that's what it was. Right. And, um, and I felt like, uh, you know, it finally, I I was very frustrated. Like I, I just wanted to go up and to the right with, with all the, the, the revenues and profits. And it was, it was much shaggier than that. And, um, I just, I I had a lot of negative self-talk because I wasn't able to, to consistently grow it. And it finally, I pressed pause one day and, and I said, Neil, maybe you're a better jockey than you realize. Maybe it's the horse. And, and so like, (laughs) At that point, I said, okay, let's press pause on all business development for the media buying business. And let's take out a blank sheet of paper and let's start thinking about other businesses that might have different traits that uh, allow it to, to be more of that consistent up and to the right growth mm-hmm. uh, idea. And that's ultimately how I landed on Mamo's Kitchen. Um, well, food can be kind of risky, though. So I'm really curious as to what mm-hmm. made you decide to do this. Well, it uh, I felt like I had a a unique angle. Um, it was born out of the, my flexibility as an entrepreneur in the in the decade prior, uh, because I was more flex the more flexible parent in the house. I was usually the person preparing dinner. Mm-hmm. And uh, and with the kids as they aged, getting into extracurricular activities, that dinner had to happen within a very defined time frame each evening. And so I got pretty good at planning and executing dinner within a tight time frame. And um, uh, and I would talk to like the other soccer parents on the sidelines about what if what are they having for dinner. You know, they were impressed often that we even ate before practice as opposed to after practice. Um, And I just thought, you know, I'd see some of 
some of uh, my boys' teammates, you know, going through the fast food line after practices. And I'm like, it doesn't have to be like, that's like in the, in the quality and, and convenience uh, spectrum, the often the, the quality convenience trade-off is too great. And so Mama's kitchen was, yeah. So Mama's kitchen was designed to have a unique, uh, you know, variation of that trade-off. And what we did was we made scratch made meals, sturdy proteins and sturdy veg that could handle reheat. And we would compose these meals into microwave, microwavable containers. So, so literally within minutes, a meal could be ready and it's infinitely better than the highly processed, you know, quick serve restaurant output. And, um, so whether you ate it before or after practice, you know, it's just, it was just very flexible, very nimble. Um, and it, it, so it, it functioned, we, we just called it, we called it Mamo's kitchen because, uh, Mamo is the Finnish word for mother and phonetically it sounds like mom. And, and we wanted to sort of promote the notion of raiding our fridge. Um, just like you raid your mother's fridge when you, when you go home. Um, and so just always high quality, uh, I hate the word, but high quality leftovers, you know, food that had already been cooked (laughs) and was ready, ready to eat. And, um, uh, in fact it, I had a, a mentor during this time period who actually posed that question to me in our first meeting. He's like, so basically you're selling leftovers. <laughs> and I love I was it. Like, yeah, <laughs> actually. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I actually think my leftovers are better than, uh, you know, a quarter pounder with cheese. So, um, it, uh, the, the challenge with the first, uh, there's like mama's kitchen actually had two chapters. One was the brick and mortar version where we were doing these reheatable meals. Um, that one I bootstrapped, uh, out of my own pocket. And long story short, it, we only had a couple of semi-profitable months out of the mm-hmm. first 12 and I was burning cash too fast and I got scared and we shut it down. Um, if, if I had a, a magic wand and could, could get a do-over, uh, the, th- the fundamental thing that I would change is uh, I would have held, held the idea hostage until I could get a partner who had food experience mm-hmm. and who could match my equity. We would have doubled our capital runway. We probably would have located it in a different location. Uh, and those two things, uh, along with just the, the, the overall experience that they had in the industry, probably could have, could have got us to profitability. And there are businesses out there that are doing this kind of value proposition and they and they've existed before and and still. So I think that the, the idea itself was not a bad one. It was executionally, we just didn't quite get there. We executed the food piece of it and even the food economics piece of it very well. You know, we had decent gross margins on 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 our sales. We just did our top line wasn't strong enough. So we closed yeah. it. I, I licked my wounds and liquidated uh, all the equipment and got out of the lease. That took some time. And then I took another run at helping people get food on the table. 
by pivoting the brand into grocer-based meal kits. And so it was a totally different idea. I went to Mm -hmm. our local independent grocer and I said, hey, HelloFresh and Home Chef and Blue Apron, you know, there I see all these boxes sitting out on trash day from these companies. These are sales that you could be getting uh, that you're missing out on because of this trend of mail order meal kits. I'm like, you know, you have everything under this roof can make almost an infinite number of different meals and, and recipes. So what if I build some things uh, to help you address that? And so I created a, a, an easy pick and pack and prep system for the deli department to put everything that was needed for a given recipe in the bag. I created labeling that satisfied the Board of Health in terms of allergen listings and ingredients and had a nice color photo of the finished dish and, um, and sold it as a sort of a systems sale to grocers. And we had a couple of different grocers do it, but ultimately that idea um, did not achieve take, you know, it didn't find product market fit uh, because the labor involved in prepping some of the ingredients and picking and packing was more ultimately than grocers wanted to do. And they have a high turnover rate of their employee base. And so constantly having to train people on how to build a meal kit was, was more than they were prepared to do. So I stepped away from that idea as well. But I have to say, both of these chapters of the brick and mortar and the sort of uh, service uh, uh, system sale uh, ideas were, they forced me to flex all sorts of creative muscles. I had to learn oh, photography to, to, to do food photography. And I had to, you know, meet with the board of health to say, okay, how do, how can we do this in a way that, that, uh, will work for you guys. And, um, so the amount of creative problem solving that went into, you know, both of those, uh, chapters of my life were extremely gratifying. And I would say the people side of it was was the most gratifying. The team that I built at at the first version of Mamo's Kitchen really bought in to the what we were trying to do for people. And and uh, while we didn't have quite enough customers, the customers we did have were heartbroken when I announced we were closing. And there was a Aww. real a real uh, it was like calling hours the last few weeks. <laughs> uh, and so it's like um, it could have. You know, it was, I learned a ton. I learned a ton. Yeah. And that is, is really just timing um, mm-hmm. because there are some companies that have made, I don't, and actually I don't know how well Blue Apron and all those are doing right now. I know during the pandemic, I think they they're went struggling. Like crazy, but, um, and I've tried about it, but I didn't, I didn't stick with it. So it, it's, it's really kind of hard to say, but I think there is something there because there's been enough companies that have tried it. And it could, again, just be kind of like a timing thing for a lot of people because you can't be the convenience and the quality and things like that. So it it's just figuring out. I have to that say during forward. COVID when everything was takeout, like I was like, oh, if we had just opened two years later, we would have been <laughs> right in the sweet spot of, you know, that, that could have made a huge difference in, 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 you know, overcoming maybe some of my short, my shortcomings as a bootstrapped you know, startup founder. Um, yeah, but, but as an entrepreneur, but so you, what? you know, you can't, yeah. you can't plan for that. 
as, as an entrepreneur, though, you really can't help yourself with trying to invent things and reinvent things. And you even still have another thing you're kind of working on that is also creative and fun. So uh, let's talk a little bit about stand-up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, one, the, actually, there, it goes all the way back to Mama's Kitchen. One of the things I started during that phase was a weekly newsletter uh, that went to customers. And I would write a little, you know, four or 500 word essay that was kind of like uh, Garrison Keillor-esque and Lake Wobegon and kind of like what's going on in our small town. And, yeah. and it, would, it would include um, a Sunday supper recipe recommendation that was not time efficient. It was the kind of thing you'd do if you had a lot of time on a Sunday. Right, right. And a Sunday music recommendation. So it was kind of a cultural piece. Oh my gosh. And even after closing the business... I have like 600 subscribers to this email and now I, I just call it my weekly essay. It's no longer the Mama's kitchen newsletter, but that, that got me thinking about writing and trying to figure out a way to um, earn income as a writer. And uh, one variation of that idea would be to, to write for, you know, screenplays or television or write for the entertainment industry. And, uh, and so I thought, well, I, I, I fancy myself as having a decent sense of humor and, and I'm a big fan of comedy. And so I, I have done some standup lately, uh, you know, five minutes at a time on, in open mics, uh, around central Ohio. I had, that's one thing I had to get over was, you know, the chance that somebody I knew might be, <laughs> might witness my, my attempts at humor. Right. Um, and, uh, but it's, uh, years ago I had done it on a, on kind of on a dare in Chicago. And since I was out of town and oh, wow. unlikely to, it was, it was a little, little less risky, de-risked de by, uh, by geography. And, but now, uh, I, I am working on material just to sort of develop my funny muscle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I really like there there's something just so interesting about you just constantly trying to reinvent, constantly, you know, create a problem solving, constantly, you know, kind of tickling this whole creative genius that is clearly in there. And it may be a matter of, you know, there's just something that's gonna totally resonate and take off, or you're gonna just keep doing all sorts of little fun things to kind of add mm -hmm. to your, your life story. <laughs> it's like, well, then he opened a rest or he opened up a, a food company and then he did some stand up, and then he wrote a script and, you know, and there's something that's just really kind of cool. And I, I don't know if your kids find that exciting, but I think that's kind of cool that you have tried a whole bunch of different things now that you have had an established company. Yeah. I, um, the, the kid piece of it is, important to me like it it was i think great for my boys to see something start and end you know yeah. within a time frame and to see the the approach that i took to ending it professionally you know a lot of you know it, it could have gone it could have had you know i gave i gave customers like six weeks notice i'm like hey everybody who bought gift cards over the holidays this is your chance to use them um, yes. We are going to go out of business, but we'll stay open as long as, long as people keep coming in. And, um, and I feel like we really wound it down with grace. 
Yeah, and, it sounds like it. And, and the boys got to see, I have, my, I have two sons, and they got to see that, um, you know, failure is not fatal. And that trying things and having them not work out is okay. And, um, and they also see that I'm persisting and doing other things and moving on. And it's not uh, a, a big pity party. I think it's really important. Well, I think, and I, I think, I think it's all, great and, and really, really commendable um, to just. They will probably do something. even more things than I've done in terms of yeah, variety they, of, of career. So they're like, well, yeah. let's just give it a shot. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, we'll try something else, which I, I think is a great spirit to have when you are trying to just kind of find your place in the world. But you have definitely done great things with the right white rock media and have created a great company, a nice sustainable company that, that, and that now allows you to have, you know, some fun too, which I think is like a, just a well-rounded life. So it's, it's kind of cool. I'm a super lucky guy. The ability to chase down these uh, ideas and dreams and try to try to skin new cats in new ways is, <laughs> is a real privilege. It's a real exactly. privilege. And it, it's, it's partially um, afforded by the fact I have a good stable, uh, client list on the white rock front. Uh, it's partially because I have a good stable, uh, spouse who, who, uh, lets me, lets me indulge in some of these things. Yeah. Um, we'll do a hat tip. To I would say, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean the, the stress of uh, business failure can, can ruin marriages. And, mm-hmm. um, in our case, it, it didn't, come close to that because you know Lori was heavily involved in everything she's she she knew exactly what we were trying to do and she knew exactly what the results were and and we were in constant consultation cool throughout that first year and and it yeah in many ways it strengthened like strengthened our relationship I think Well, Neil, you have a fantastic story and I really, really appreciate you being on the podcast and sharing it because I think there are a lot of lessons and a lot of analogies that I totally loved that you also threw in there too. Um, So thank you so much for being on the podcast. I think you're going to really help um, people that listen and I just can't wait to see what you're going to do next because it's going to be something completely different and exciting. So good luck to whatever you try next. It's, it's been, it's been fun so far. Well, thanks for having me on. I I feel like I flap my gums too much, but uh, it's uh, people can it's, hear from me anytime. They hear from me every week, but they could they they need to hear from you. So <laughs> I have great enthusiasm. So no, I love thanks it. for letting I me share it. it. I love it. Thank you again so much. My pleasure. Take care. Thank you for listening to the podcast. The Secret Art of Business is supported by Portfolio Creative. Portfolio Creative is a recruiting and staffing company specializing in finding marketing talent. Go to PortfolioCreative.com to get started in finding your next marketing person or your next job. We are experts. We are creative. We are good humans. Please subscribe or follow this podcast to get the latest episodes. And let me know if there's someone you think of that would be a great guest on the show. Here we can build a community that believes creativity and drive can work together.